Well, good morning. It's a great pleasure for me to be with you as my, my water descends to the ground. Let me gather myself. I'm out of control. Um, so good morning, Hope Church. My name is John Hanna, um, and it's just my delight to be here with you. It is um, one of the things that I do in the, in the capacity that I now have is that I visit churches to preach quite often. And the downside of that is that I'm away from my family, or sometimes they come with me. But the upside is I get to gather with God's people all over, in my case, all over the state of New Jersey for the most part. And there's just something so beautiful and wondrous about that because every church is different. Um, You have your own way, your own people, your own vibe, but yet every church is one and the same because we worship the same God, the same king. There's a commonality. I can simply show up and enter into this, and we're all in it together. I'm not a stranger. I'm one of you because we belong to him who, who unites us. So it's my pleasure to be here. So my particular, so I come here this morning uh, to tell you, to obviously to bring the word primarily, but also to tell you about the ministry that I now have. So here's the, you know, I'm here to, I don't want to take too much time in the service, but here's my story. Um, I was an attorney for a number of years, and then I repented of my attorney ways. Um, No, so that's kind of, that's the brief version. But yes, I was a lawyer, but I was called, and there's a whole story there, into the ministry about 10 years into, uh, after I I worked as a lawyer. Um, And I've served as a pastor for about 10 years. Uh, um, in two churches, uh, but in 2021, so just a little background. So in 2020, I did become involved in government in, ministry, in government uh, in New Jersey, both on the state level and the local level, because honestly, I was just disturbed about what was happening in our schools. I was like, this is, what is this? And so I wanted to find out what it was, and as a result, I was encouraged to run for school board, which I did. I didn't win, but my, my purpose was to uh, just sort of bring attention to these issues and have a, a, communal, a community conversation about them. <laughs> that was really the purpose for which I ran. And so that, that ended up happening. Uh, but it still kind of continues unrelentingly in one, in one direction. Anyway, but through all of that, I, I was like, is God calling me to something here in this realm? Because it seemed that way, because things were happening. And then in... in 2021, um, my wife and I, we prayed and fasted for three days, and on the, the very next day, after the three days of prayer and fasting, I found, about, found out about Ministry to State. And Ministry to State, it seemed to be our, the answer to prayer, that, to our prayers at least, because it kind of brought together my, my legal world, my pastor world, and my interest in New Jersey government world all together. Um, and so ministry to state is a ministry to people who serve in government. So basically, think of it this way. The government is our mission field, and the people who serve in government are our people group. And I'm the minister to state government in New Jersey. And so what I seek to, and so this is relatively new, began in you know, 2021, last year, and really I walked into the state house for the first time in December, December of 2021. So it kind of has been ongoing since then. Um, and my desire, my interest is in connecting with our legislators and ultimately connecting with them there, face-to-face. I show up whenever they meet, but ultimately it's to get them to sort of a sit-down face-to-face 
a one-on-one -on -one time that I, I trust will be meaningful and, and, and productive and in the Lord's provision. And so, honestly, it was, it's been a good beginning. I've had a lot of meaningful conversations with the people who are elected to serve us in state government in New Jersey. Face-to-face uh, -face conversations, one-on-one -on -one conversations. And it's encouraging. And if I show up and somebody's got a half-hour time slot for my meeting and we end up talking for an hour and a half, I take that as, as an encouragement. Um, and, and honestly, I've met with people both on the, you could say, the right and the left. I'd say I had more reception among conservatives. There's no question about that. But there's also been a receptivity among those who are, who are not conservative. And I've had meaningful conversations with them. I'll just give you one little story. Um, the stories help. Um, and, and honestly, the conversations are personal, they're spiritual, but they're also policy. Right? So we have five objectives as a ministry. Uh, and we, by the way, we're, we're founded, we were rooted in Washington, D.C., and we've expanded. So the ministry, I'm sure there's a ministry to the federal government, and then there's ministry to various states. I represent New Jersey. Um, and so we have five objectives. One is gospel. We are an evangelistic mission. Two is worldview. So that if somebody professes faith, our goal is to get them to live out their faith within the realm they're calling in government. Three is conscience. We're a voice of witness regarding issues of concern. And then four and five are sort of from the other end, our church. I'm sent from the church, from the church in New Jersey to government in New Jersey. And five is prayer. We're undergirded by prayer. Uh, but one, one man uh, who's, who's a man of, who's a Democrat um, and who's a typical New Jersey guy, you know, grew up Catholic, left it all, you know, forget about this. I don't believe in that anymore. And just be a good person. And he's, a, and he's a really, he's a good guy. He's like, he's a very enjoyable guy. He's a great storyteller. I mean, he's got, he's got political skills, people skills, right? Uh, but one of the interesting things is, um, or not interesting, but it's just simply a, an aspect of, of his being, is he and his wife lost their first son at the age of two uh, to a rare heart condition. And what's his way of dealing with it, he talks about his, this goes back over 40 years now, talks about his son all the time. He almost like he carries him around in his heart and he wants to tell the news of his son to the world and how, how much, not only how much he loved his son, but how he's even benefited from his son's passing, how what's affected his life and how it's set the trajectory of his, of, his, of his life ever since then. So I listened to him and so on. And the sort of what I kind of came back to him with, um, I said, you know, it's beautiful just to listen to you. It's just obviously you can't be help it, be affected. And he's not morose about it, to be honest. He's kind of a gregarious guy, you know. Um, but I said, you know, your story really reminds me of the bigger story because you're telling the news of your son is actually part of the bigger story where God tells the news of his son. And, about, and the good news of the gospel is all the good that comes into the world through the death of the beloved son. Right? And that is your story is part of that bigger story. It's just a way to kind of just enter in and just, you know. And so we, have, we you know, he and I are we're kind of friendly every time I see him. So I'm hoping to meet with him again soon. Um, with, you know, I, and so these meetings are, are hopeful. I'm hoping to begin um, Bible study and prayer with some of the people I've connected maybe this fall. We've talked about that. There's a receptivity to it, but we'll see if it actually comes about, that they walk in it. Uh, but honestly, I'm, you know, I think it's, I've just started this. It's one step at a time to see what, and I, I'm interested to see what God does. That's really what I'm interested. I'm, I'm almost curious. Lord, what can you do here? 
what can, can, can you actually, can you do the impossible? Because it seems that you're kind of about that. Can you, can you bring people who don't now know you, who, are, who serve in government New Jersey, who are elected? So these are people who are successful, they're competent, they're busy. Right? Turn them from death to life. Can you actually change the culture so that our laws go from being unjust and, quite frankly, evil and hideous, <laughs> but what is intended for evil you would use for good and even turn towards the good? That there would be, that there would be, because that is part of, you know, again, I'm not, I don't, I'm, I'm, you know, that is an aspect of my aim. It's part of ultimately what motivated me, kind of I got interested, was because I saw the evil that was overtaking and is overtaking our state. And so I'm hoping for, you know, can, can you do that, Lord? Can you use me to that effect? Well, here I am. I want to see what you can do, what you will do, what your intentions are. And I want to be useful in this way for as long as you call me into this setting that I am confident. The reason I do it is because I, I'm persuaded from the depths of my soul that God has called me to this ministry. Not because I'm unique, it's because he's called me. Not because I'm the best or whatever, it's just he's called me. And I, I took it because I knew that if I didn't, again, nobody else would. Not because, again, I'm just the dude, but because there was no other candidate. I was it. It was me or nothing. So I said, okay, well, this seems to be what the next step for, for me and for my family. So anyway, so that's kind of a maybe not so brief overview of what's happening. So if you're interested, we have a table uh, and the foyer. Uh, there's a sign-up sheet. The only thing you're signing up for is to get uh, my email updates regarding what's happening. Uh, and I don't know, those could be every other month, quarterly, maybe they'll rise to monthly if things get, there's, a lot, there's more to tell. We'll see. But that's all you, so it's kind of to be updated regarding the ministry. If you're interested in it and you want that, but there's also information, I'd be glad to talk to you afterwards about it as well. All right, so that's, that's that. Okay, so let me, let me pray for us. Father, I give you thanks for the, people, the gathering of the saints, Lord, and we have, we have sung, we have, we, have, um, we have come to you, Lord, and offered ourselves, and now we want to receive, receive the word of truth, the word of life, the word who became flesh and dwelt among us. Holy Spirit, reveal Jesus to us, and Lord, may we follow after you because you have addressed us and we have listened. In Jesus' name we pray, in the fellowship and power of the Holy Spirit, amen. Okay, so I begin with a question. What's your story? When you wake up in the morning, what is your life about? Now, already you might be pushing back. It's like, listen, man, when I get up in the morning, I've got, I've got work, I've got pressure, I've got expectations, I've got studies, I've got family, I've got life, I've got kids. I'm just trying to keep things together, dude. All right? One thing I don't have time for is to ponder existential questions about what my life is about. All right, I hear you. But guess what? That's a story. That right there is your story. That is what your life is about. Whether we are being intentional or reflective or not, we are all living a story. There's a reason that we make, that you make the big decisions that you make, and there's a reason that you make the everyday, day-to-day decisions that you make. And it could be that 
the story that you're living is the default story that our society, our culture gives you, and you're just doing your best just to hold on and to keep up, right? We adopt our society's story. We are tempted, or we do adopt it as our own story. So question, who's the author of your story? So this is from the great English writer of the 20th century, G.K. Chesterton, who said this, I had always first felt uh, life first as a story, and if there is a story, there is a storyteller. Okay, so that brings us to our scripture reading, which is from Mark chapter 14, verses 27 to 42, and then uh, 67, 66 to 72. <clears throat> and Jesus said to them, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Now ahead to verse 66. And Peter, and as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it, and after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. This is the word of the Lord. So our reading probably is familiar, at least to many of you, and it brings us um, to the events that make us who we are. All right, The night before the night Jesus is betrayed, the night before he is crucified. These are the events that cause us to gather every Sunday. So although we may be used to looking at them at certain times of year, we can really never look at them enough. We can look at them forever. So we can divide our reading into two parts. One is the heart of man. Second is the heart of God. Although the division isn't quite so neat uh, and distinct, we only know our hearts through knowing God, and Jesus is the God-man. Still, it's a way for us to kind of enter into 
our reading. So, Jesus says to his guys that he's been with now, that he called to himself, it's about to go down. What I have said is going to happen, will now happen, and you're all going to abandon me. You're going to fall, and you're going to fail. And Peter says, maybe all the rest of them, Jesus, but not me. I've got your back. I'm with you all the way. You know, you know these guys, but not me. I'm different. And Jesus says to him, oh, Peter, Peter, tonight, just within a a few hours, you're going to deny that you even know me three times. Peter says, you've got me all wrong. I am ready to die with you. I am going to show you what I'm all about. I will never, ever deny you. Peter is very sure of himself. Peter is emphatic. Jesus knows Peter. Peter doesn't know Peter. Is this all right? The microphone, is it my projecting? Or should I be? Am I well placed here? Okay, good. I just don't mind. So Peter doesn't know. You are just as emphatic as as Peter that you know, but you don't know. We think just like Peter that everyone else doesn't know himself or herself, but I know myself. I know the way I really am. You don't know. We don't know. And that's really hard for you to accept. That's hard for me to accept. In theory, we know it's true, especially if we're we're Christians. We know we have a sin nature. But in the moment, in the specific, we don't believe it. Psalm 19, 12, who can discern his own errors? Then Jeremiah 17, 9 always proves true. The heart is deceitful above all things. I'm desperately sick. Who can understand it? But Jeremiah 17, 9 is followed by Jeremiah 17, 10, which says, which may, you know, you may be familiar with Jeremiah 17, 9. You may have heard that verse, heard it more than once. But Jeremiah 17, 10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. So Peter doesn't know Peter, but Jesus knows Peter. Every word the Lord speaks about Peter happens exactly as he says it's going to happen. Jesus knows you. The Lord knows you. God knows you. And this word that we have tells us about ourselves in a way that we would otherwise never know. When you look in here, what you find is a mirror to your soul that tells you things about you that you would otherwise never know. So you, brothers and sisters, maybe, listen, you hear it, but I'll remind you again this morning. You must spend time with the Lord through his word and by the Holy Spirit who applies his word to have him tell you about you. Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Lord, tell me about me. I need you to tell me about me. Because if you and I don't do this, we'll walk around emphatically believing things about ourselves that are the exact opposite of what's true. Now, knowing ourselves isn't something that we do on our own, simply on our own, but with others together. Christianity is personal. It is deeply, intensely personal. But it is not individual. But what I mean by that, it is not by yourself. It is personal and together. So Hebrews 3 says this. 
Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The deceitfulness of sin tells us lies that resonate with our own sinful hearts to turn us away from the living God. And one of the primary ways our own hearts are searched by the Spirit of God, according to the Word of God, is through others who are themselves having their hearts searched by the Spirit of God, according to the Word of God. You must have such people in your life who are God's instruments to tell you the truth about you. Because that's often the way God speaks to us. It's through our brothers and sisters. That's what Hebrews 3 is telling us right here. Do you have such people? Do you have anyone in your life who has permission to tell you the truth about you unvarnished without, you know, being afraid they're going to you know, punch them in the head or something, <laughs> right? Maybe that's part of the relationship. Who knows? I don't know. <laughs> but does anyone have the permission to tell you the truth about you? Because according to Hebrews, we need this. You know how often it says? Every day. Every day we need the exhortation of our brothers and sisters to keep our sinful hearts from being deceived and turning away from the living God. So you need this dynamic of truth and love from God and from his people to be part of the rhythm of your life. This is God's command to you. He knows you. Hope Church, this is one of the reasons. So there's a script, obviously in the scriptures it tells us to love one another. We know that. Bear one another's burdens. It's everywhere. But one of the ways that you love one another is by speaking the word of God to each other regularly as a part of the rhythm of your life that God has joined you for this purpose. So I encourage you this morning to take this matter to heart. Now, one of the reasons that Peter doesn't know himself is because he didn't know Jesus. At least he didn't know Jesus in the way that he thought he knew Jesus, right? There's always, there's always more to discover. There's always more to learn, more to find out. And for him, for sure, there was more to discover, right? So Peter knew enough, right, that, um, that since the time Jesus first called him, he knew that Jesus was the one that he must follow. Peter knows this, right? So in John chapter 6, John 6 is a long chapter, um, and then towards the latter part of the chapter, Jesus begins to make a number of statements that are provocative. And the people who are least listening are offended. And he keeps talking and, in some sense, increasing the, the provocation and, and the offense. And they, more and more people keep walking away till the only ones who remain are the 12. And he turns to them and he says, will you leave too? And what does Peter say? To whom shall we go? You have the words of the eternal life, and we, have, we are convinced and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Like, where are we going, Jesus? If not you, like, then who? Right? So there's this book. It's a, oftentimes I find that the best books are little books. I think maybe because the authors are economical with their words and get to the point. Not that long books are good, too, but I'm saying that in this case it's a little book. It's called Christ or Chaos. The, the author's name is Dan DeWitt. And I do commend it to you, especially if there's a, a younger person in your life, because it's kind of written from a perspective of two college students, but it's really for, good for everybody. Anyway, but the point is that it's Christ or chaos, and that's the truth. It's either Jesus 
or the dark, chaotic, meaningless void. There's no door number three, right? Those are the two choices that are before. And I'm sorry, again, and Peter, and Peter gets it, right? And I trust and hope that you get that too because on some level it's what it means to be a Christian is to get that in the depths of your being. It's Jesus or chaos. But then right here at the end, the Jesus who is, the one who is the Lord of glory, the incarnate Son of God, turns out to be different from the Peter Jesus, uh, from, from the Jesus Peter expects, and he is repelled. He is offended, and he turns away. Right? He didn't know that about himself until he was forced to make a choice. He had no idea. He had, there was he was a he was he must have been, he was shocked. He had no expectation. Friends, are you prepared to make that choice if you should be so confronted? So this is probably my favorite C.S. Lewis quote. C.S. Lewis might be a name familiar to you in this church, some churches. He's a a known person. Maybe this is one such church. Um, But this is probably my favorite quote of all time. Um, This is from his book, A Grief Observed. My idea of God is not a divine idea. It has to be shattered time after time. He shatters it himself. He is the great iconoclast, which means image breaker. Could we not almost say that this shattering is one of the marks of his presence? The incarnation is the supreme example. It leaves all previous ideas of the Messiah in ruins. And most are offended by the iconoclasm, and blessed are those who are not. There will come a point in time when Jesus will offend you, when, this mag- when he will be different from what you want him to be or expect him to be, and then what will you do? Who's in charge of your life? Is it you who doesn't know you, or is it Jesus who knows you and loves you at the same time? What's your story? To whom will you go? Now, if Jesus had fought in the way Peter had expected him to, he might have actually lived up to his words, because we actually read in the part of the uh, Mark 14, I didn't read, that one of the disciples brought a sword, and we know from John's gospel that it was Peter. So Peter brings a sword. He's ready to fight. If you bring a sword, you're ready for something, and you're kind of prepared to kind of go all in. But then what does Jesus say to him? Put away your sword. How do I fight without a sword? What do I do without a sword? Now, question. Does Jesus not fight? No. Jesus does not not fight. I know it's a double negative, but you against the rules, but you got it, right? Jesus conquers. Jesus crushes the serpent's head. Jesus slays the dragon. Jesus conquers death. Jesus overcomes the world. Jesus fights, but he fights differently for different goals. What you and I fight for, rage over, is, you know, sort of like our place in the sinful, dying world facing judgment. (laughs) You know, give me that, give me that, Pete. I want that back. Give that back to me, right? It's what we fight for, right? It changes nothing. What Jesus fights for changes the world. 
Because what Jesus fights for and gives his life for is the conquest of the human heart to make it his own. That's what he fights for. What Jesus fights for is the removal of the heart of stone to replace it with a heart of flesh in which he reigns supreme. Though Peter didn't know it, Jesus was fighting for Peter. Jesus fights for you. He fights to make you his. He fights to make you holy his. He fights to make a holy people who are holy his. What do you fight for? What do you devote yourself to? What is your life about when you get up in the morning, brothers and sisters? What, do you, what are you about? What is your story? Is it the victory, the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ down to the depths of your souls? And then through you, out into all the places that he calls you? Are you fighting Jesus' way for what Jesus died and rose again to give to you? 2 Corinthians 5. He died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Now, we turn to the heart of God or more properly, the heart of the God-man. So it says, right after Jesus tells Peter he's going to deny him, and Peter's like, no, no, man, you got me all wrong. Right? It says right after that, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John with him. So he knows what Peter's going to do. He knows what they're all going to do. And yet he brings them closer to him. He remains completely committed to them and for them. So but you and I instinctively don't have a place for loving, being committed to those who deny us, those who fail us, right? That's not a part of any of our stories, right? It's like our instinct is like, away from me, be gone. Like, you failed when I most needed you. You completely failed me. You abandoned me. You denied me. We can't be friends anymore. This, our life, my life, we can't, this relationship doesn't work. It doesn't function. Away from me, be gone. That's how we do things, but that's not how Jesus does things. He says this, You're a terrible sinner. You're a coward and a liar who's going to abandon me and deny me. Come with me. I want you to be mine. I'm going to love you forever. Jesus Christ makes, our Lord makes a family, a kingdom of such people. Of you and of me. John's gospel puts it like this. John 13, 1. Having loved his own who were in the world... He loved them to the end. He's committed to you to the end. All the way through. He loves you to the end, knowing all about you. His love is steadfast. It is unfailing, enduring through all of your sin and enduring through all of his suffering. Do you see that? Do you know that? Do you believe that this morning? To whom will you go? Where will you find somebody like this? There's only one. Then, in the next few sentences, in verses 33 to 36, we read among the most remarkable words that have ever been written. Right? Do I have that slide? I don't know if, it, if it's... If I do, okay, thanks. So, Jesus is overwhelmed. It says he became greatly distressed and troubled. So the word troubled here 
can mean amazed, astonished. So what was it that overwhelmed Jesus, that amazed him, that astonished him, that horrified him? Jesus stared into and had fall upon him your sin and my sin and all of our sin. This is the horror, the awfulness, the ugliness, the depravity, the godlessness of sin. Friends, this is what caused the Son of God to flinch. It caused him to drop to his knees in anguish as he absorbed it into his own perfect, holy soul. Because his soul had no agreement with it. There was no part of him that, was, that could accept this. That could accept any, uni- any unity with sin. It repulsed him to the core of his being and he hated it with every part of his soul. Because he had no agreement with it. Can we take to heart what brought such horror and astonishment to Jesus' heart? Because the reality is this. The world, the flesh, and the devil make make sin look normal and righteousness seem strange. So you and I have a... We don't respond this way to sin. We kind kind of have a very comfortable relationship with it. Kind of keep it around as a friend. We coexist comfortably. But Jesus came, what he did, he does here, is so that wouldn't happen anymore. To break that friendly relationship and to make it one of enmity and hatred and horror. Can we take to heart and detest, and with the help of God's spirit through faith, separate ourselves from that which is so hideous and awful and regard it with the same contempt that Jesus regards it with? The scripture commands... Abhor what is evil. Jesus Jesus absorbed what is abhorrent so that we would live in it. We would not live in it any longer. Friends, not hate yourself, but hate your sin. There's a huge difference. They're, they're, They're actually polar opposites. Ultimately, the only way not to end up hating yourself and everyone else is to hate your sin. That's the only way. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you this kind of insight into your sin that so repulsed our Lord and King. May we have such a relationship with sin in the same way our Lord did. Now, as Jesus has our sin fall upon him, he also experiences the separation from God, the darkness, the hopelessness, the despair, the holy wrath and anger and opposition of God on sin and on sinners. That's what's in front of him, overcoming him, crushing him. And yet, what does he do? He holds on. He holds on. He loved, why did he love his own to the end? Because he loved God his Father first and most and best. That's how it is that he could love you and me. Abba, not what I will, but what you will. This is what makes him who he is. In the crucible, in the fire, in the time of his great suffering, as his heart is flooded and overwhelmed, he perseveres, he endures for your sake. And he can help you do the same in your time of great need and temptation. Turn to him and ask him to help you. He is like us in every way and was tempted in every way except without sin. He can help you in your time of need and your weakness depend on him. He is the living Lord by your side 
and even within you. And he will not be denied the work of his hands that were nailed to the cross to make you his own. He delights to help you. He's eager to help you. He who is without sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, Jesus knew that his death was not the end of the matter. For Jesus, there was resurrection joy on the other side of the sorrow of sin. There was joy through the sorrow. It's the only way to joy. That's why in verse 28, after Jesus says to his disciples that he will suffer and they will, they will fail, he says, after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. He's saying to them, this isn't the end. I will triumph. I will rise and I will gather you to myself so that my resurrection becomes your, my resurrection becomes your resurrection. He said this to his disciples repeatedly, has he not? Right? If you know the Gospels or if you don't, I'll tell you, right? He said to them over and over, I'm going to be mistreated, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, on the third day I'm going to rise. But they can't hear it. They're like, what? We don't understand. This doesn't make sense. Right? Oh, they, just, they can't get it. Why? Why can they not get it? Because he's telling them a story that they can't accept. So that there's this amazing promise of resurrection at the end of it. They can't hear the resurrection promise because the, the way it unfolds is inconsistent with what they understand and what, and what they can accept and what they know. Why? Because what he's telling them is that it's death to resurrection. It's suffering to glory. And they have other plans. Can you hear it? Or do you have other plans? It's the only way. It's the story of the scriptures. It's the story of the world. Deliverance from sin through suffering. Death to resurrection. Suffering to glory. First his and then yours in him. Friends, brothers and sisters, you will face dread. You will face darkness and you will face distress. If you've lived for any period of time, you already know that. And if you face them without the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be crushed, you'll be overwhelmed, and you'll be destroyed. And then one day you will experience the despair that never, ever, ever runs out. But if when he says to you, come to me, come with me, you do in weakness, in struggle, in temptation, in sin, in whatever condition you are in, then you are his And he will never, ever, ever let you go. And he will bring you all the way through. So that in whatever you experience, you are more than a conqueror through him who loves you. Whatever sufferings come your way, make you more like him and work his resurrection power into you to make you more like him. What are you afraid of facing? What are you dealing with? What are you afraid of? What do you dread? The sufferings of the present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us. These light and momentary troubles are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory that far surpasses them all. He says, and he never lies, we know that. I will rise and I will go ahead of you and I will gather you to myself. Remember those words. To whom will you go? What is your story? May it be the story of the author himself who loves you to the end. Let him search your heart to make it his own. 
And then together follow him as he goes before you to resurrection and to glory. Hope, church, live in the hope that is your name. Let's pray. Our great God and Father, uh, we thank you for your Son, our Lord, Jesus. We praise you. Thank you for being such a God and such a Savior and such a Redeemer. Lord, search our hearts. Show us what we're like. Help us to encourage and exhort one another towards knowing ourselves and knowing you, Lord, knowing you, knowing you, Jesus. May that be Hope Church's story. May you reign supremely in every heart here. Lord, for those who have come not knowing, not believing, doubting, Lord, by the power of your spirit now, I pray that you would use your word to to bring life so that you would remove the heart of stone to give a heart of flesh. May you reign supremely in that new heart that has been raised to new life. For those who are who come believing, Lord, may there be renewal today and always. We thank you, Lord, that glory come, that glory is coming. We've already sung that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.